Welcome to Truly Rotten Tomatoes, the podcast with the pod most. Today we're talking... Declan, do you know what number film we're up to? I want to say 14 or 15. Is that all? Yeah, we've watched another movie that ranks 0% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's it's an interesting one. But here to bring a fresh uh, something, a fresh perspective to the pod is none other than Louis McCurdy, previous host of... Arvos or lunches on Triple J, I think. Yeah, that's that's it. Lunch did some Arvos, did uh did mix up for for a few years I as well. I remember that. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Are you still null? I'm still. Or are you Hayden? I'm both, Hayden exclusively. Man. Okay, that's nice. No, I, I'm both. Null's a bit um quiet at the moment. Thank you so much for being on the potty, mate. Hey, a pleasure. I'm desperate but to talk to people. Desperate for human connections, friends. <laughs> You know, I'm one of the unlucky ones. I don't get to work from home. I don't get to do video calls right. every day, all day, every day. So this is my first video call for a long time. And a bit of an exclusive for you guys, my second appearance on a podcast ever. Oh, shit. Wow. The first one being yours, right? Or does that not count as an appearance? Oh, no, that doesn't count. I mean, I mean as a guest. Okay. You know, people, aren't, people aren't calling me up for a guest. So, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is a good get for you. <laughs> this is nearly an exclusive I think you're our first international guest as well international So we're really guest. happy yeah, to right. take that yeah, box Yeah, and this is a big big step down from the Joe Rogan experience as well So thank that's you That's okay, well now me. he's parted to, you know, exclusively Spotify You know, that's opened you guys up to take the the rest of the, the, rest of the market See big things for the future, you guys That's why I jumped on board <laughs> Now, have you ever watched... Like deliberately gone out of your way to watch a terrible movie or a movie that you know, like other than something like The Room, all these well-known films. That, well, up until recently, what was the worst movie you can think of that you've seen the whole way through? Well, you know, I don't even really need to go out of my way to watch um, bad films. Always been a big fan of complete, you know, bin fires that are a total waste of money. Uh, but it's around Christmas time that I even watch movies. I don't really enjoy uh, watching movies at all, but um. On Netflix, there is just dozens and dozens of Christmas movies. And Christmas movies would be the best zone for bad film, bad expensive film. You know, it's it all revolves around Christmas and, and they all blend in together as well. There's, there's just junk like, you know, the, the Christmas Prince, I think is a hot one <laughs> what on the there. hell is that? Anything starring. Um, uh, who's, who's the girl from High School Musical? Oh, Vanessa um, Hutchins. Vanessa Hutchins. So Vanessa Hutchins, I think, has gone on to produce a whole fleet of awful Christmas movies um, that have the same exact backbreaking, mind-bending, you know, inconsistencies that make up a a, a good bad film. And um, yeah, she's like killing the game at making bad Christmas movies at the moment. So they're they're good to watch. I, I recommend Christmas time for Christmas movies. Yeah. All right. Why? Why so many Christmas movies? What's her deal? Man, Christmas is hot for Christmas movies. That's true. It is a good time of year for Christmas movies. I'm, I'm not it? sure what what the deal is around December. It's, it's the only time of year that I enjoy watching movies. You've really thrown me throw me uh, you know out here by <laughs> by getting me to watch something not in December. But you know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, and so you've alluded to it. We may as well talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, Mitch, no, <laughs> just joking. Ouch! Fuck. Actually, on that. So, hey, Hayden. So when we'll when we'll get together to to pitch this podcast, and you asked me to be on board, yes. and I was trying to build that rapport, get connected online. So I sent you a photo. You did of me. You did, and and you said, "Nice to see that you you keeping fit." Did I say that? Were you expecting me 
to have let myself go. <laughs> Were you kind of expecting to be 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 a, I bit, wasn't, flat, I be, wasn't a bit be a bit chubby? No, I was I was not. That's how he gets everyone in into the podcast. <laughs> how, how dare you? No, I just thought it was a bit strange that like one of the first communications that we've had in years was just you sending a photo of yourself. It's like that's an well, interesting take. It's evidence. And then you're like a recent photo of myself. Like, oh, yeah, cool. Just yeah. That connection. It sounds more like Louis was. Pitching himself for the show, but I'm I'm not I'm not really an online kind of guy, you know. I like the face to face. Okay, well I, I skipped the whole uh, online dating scene. I've been in a relationship for a long time, so I, I don't know what uh, uh, what the uh, current criteria is for connecting online, whether it's you know romantically, professionally. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just send a photo of me. Open with a photo. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. I found it refreshing. I thought it was flirty and fun. <laughs> I, I liked it. Wait, you shared around the photo I sent. What? I did. I, did, I shared the photo with we these all guys. Loved yeah, it. Because I thought it was a strange thing to do. Get in trouble for that, Hayden. I was excited. I was like, oh, he looks we were like on that the fence. Now. We were like, yeah. should should we let Louis on the podcast? Thanks for doing me in, Mitch. You really are the elephant in the room. Yeah. So, so the the act the actual elephant of the in the room is the film Simon Says from 1999. This one's a doozy. The lead stars are Dennis Rodman and Dane Cook. My God, what 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 can we say about this movie? Does anyone want to give like a pitch? What 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 the fuck is it? What's it about? Well, you've got Dennis Rodman in the twilight of his basketball career, and Dane Cook in the very opening of his comedy career, and these two trajectories happen to explode at once in this wonderful 1999 action spy comedy film. <laughs> yeah, Don Donis Redman, as I like to call him. Uh, he has, and I've heard people say this, I don't know if they still say it, if it's still the thing people say, but they say it about people and it's that he has so much swagger. <laughs> and when I hear people say that, I just think- So I, much charisma. I, I, I don't agree right? at all. But <laughs> I must say that Donis Redmond has so much swagger in this film. He is 100% charisma. I want to go the other way and I want to say Dennis Rodman in real life is a very colorful character. And in this movie- <laughs> He didn't have much character and he was very dry to me. It was like, I would rather watch Dennis Rodman in real life do any of this stuff than him try and kind of act. Yeah, yeah. the acting was terrible. This is the first time I can actually say, okay, the acting was noticeably bad, which is strange because we've been through a lot of movies that have been rated really badly and never as the act. It's always been like bad story, doesn't quite make sense, too long, very boring. But in this case... It was all those things, but also he kind of acted as a basketball player. <laughs> hate it. I, I hate to. I hate to, you know, throw the first disagreement into the room. But <laughs> I, I thought the acting was quite exceptional. I was, I was blown away by the caliber of what seemed to be a motley crew of um, amateur actors getting their big break. But the more I looked into it, you know, we had Dennis Rodman making his debut on the big mm. screen. I went through and looked at the other kind of movies that. NBA stars are uh, lining up for like even last year they had Uncut Gems. It was Kevin Garnett. Beautiful film. Uh, you know you got the big one, Space Jam with Michael Jordan. There's this uh, basketball drama that Shaq's in in the mid '90s. This is the first time an NBA star has gone above and beyond and starred in a role that wasn't anything to do with basketball or the NBA. He's playing an ex. Interpol undercover agent in retirement as a as a what a, a cooperative CIA agent or something like that. It's it's very hard to understand exactly 
what role he's undertaken, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's any fault of his own through his acting. I, I really think he stepped up. And, um, you know, the bad guy, uh, John Panette, Ashton, he's like this West End uh, theatre guy. And, and he really... Who, who is that he's guy? The, he's the, the orphan in, always poking his head out the back of a limousine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But, but who, so, so you said his name like he is like a well-known... Is he a well-known actor? No, this is straight he from Wikipedia. But, uh, <laughs> Okay, cool. I was going to say, it's like, he's dropping it. He happened to be in a Christmas special you watched once, right? Yeah, and uh, it was it was the you know, Christmas time pantomime here in here in London. No, he's he's like yeah, very theatrical. I, I think um mm. I th- I think the only person on screen that I just couldn't tolerate at all was Dane Cook, Nick Miranda's Oh no, that that that, that was oh. some of the most unbearable <laughs> grating grinding acting I've ever seen and for the entire duration of all of his scenes, I was embarrassed for him and curious as to how he ever felt confident enough to pursue acting in the first place. Uh, yeah, so I don't bad. think Donis Redman really needed to act so much in this movie up until the part where, he, uh, spoiler, he gets sort of ambushed towards the end of the film and he has to put on what looks like fear on his face and then he actually has to act. But for the most part... In this movie, he just has to wander around looking confident and he can already sort of do that. And I'm sure like he was just asking what the lines were before every single take. Like that's all he had to do was say the lines. But yeah, Dane Cook, his only like gag for the first whole half of the film is every so often behaving like a dog. Did you notice that? Like It gives us a masterful impression of a dinosaur. Yes. A dinosaur. Oh yes, he was a dinosaur as well. That was the only moment where he could really like shine was uh, doing his little doggy impression. Louis brought up a good point that almost gets that gets flagged almost every podcast is that um it's really hard to follow these movies. We often find like not entirely sure what the plot was and I pride myself on following those and really understanding the nuances. This this one did lose me a bit and it's simpler than some of the other ones. I just think the way it was delivered was a bit too I dropped the ball a couple of times and I meant to rewatch to figure it out, but yeah. Um h- how does this movie start? We're watching Watching oh, a drop off of or like a. It starts off with some really cool buy stuff. But that's that's the first on screen action. But it actually starts oh, yeah. with an unbearable two to three minutes of titling. Yeah, it's true. It's it's unbearable. Yeah. It it zaps all the energy out of the room before you've even started. It's exhausting to sit through this uh, you know, this intense nineties beat and just the the names you know these names pop up on screen uh these are the people that that are in it dane cook john panette ricky harris um natalie sigluidi but they don't say which (laughs) character they're playing it's just the names flashing on screen it's unbearable and and kind of nauseating (laughs) it's a bad start to the movie it's very 90s and I have a feeling that Hayden would have loved this because it's 90s breakbeats and it's like super cheesy. I was, I, I, was into the, I was into the beats. I was like, this is here. Did here we go, boys. Did you see who did the titles one. as well? The soundtrack. The s- did you see who did the score? I did. It was some guy who ended up doing... I, he, he's doing stuff now. Brian Tyler. But, um, yeah, I looked it up instantly. He does the Marvel soundtracks. Yeah. He did the NFL song. Like when everyone's <laughs> watching the NFL, that's his song. Like he, He's a... He's a fat cat now. Wow. Yeah, but he he was doing essentially like Crystal Method ripoff on, on this movie, which was sick. I liked the <laughs> the one piece of music that was like a breakbeat with the sound of like a woman orgasming orgasming over the top. It was like boom 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 bo
it's like, that's my kind of thing. But yeah, unfortunately, that couldn't salvage the whole movie for me. And the titles are spinning in, in like a very 90s effect. The words spin in and they're all grey and it's like, it says Dennis Rodman, it's just it's just his name. And then it says the movie's title, Simon Says, with an S-E-Z. Not sure what that means. Like, is I know his name's Simon in the film, but is the says part like relevant at all? I'm not sure. Um, and then and then I'm like, wow, he's the only one getting billed in this movie. But no, then as Louis said, it goes for like three more minutes of all these other names that you just don't recognize. And then finally, like it's the movie starts, and we over, we we hear the overdubbing of two people clearly watching some security footage. The security footage seems to be taken from a drone that's moving very very quickly. It turns out to be a robotic uh, fly bug. Yeah, it's a t- tiny fly that's flying through the air. And they're essentially snooping. These two people are snooping and they, they give away, they bury the lead pretty quickly. They're like, we're Interpol or we're something like this. <laughs> we're the CIA on behalf of Interpol. Um, and we are spying, spying on two guys meeting up in a car park to discuss an arms deal. Yeah. And these guys... These guys are both dressed as monks, right? And they and we it becomes apparent that they're the offsiders to Dennis Rodman's CIA Interpol agent character. So they're kind of they they have like a you know um, dumb and dumber buddy comedy. They're doing a lot of silly banter together. These guys and yeah, I don't know why they're dressed as monks, but they call themselves the monks and they they have like an underground bunker and they're doing some classic spy nineties f- tracing. Is it just because their bunker is like under a church or something like this, so they have to pretend to be monks yeah. so they don't blow their cover? That makes sense. Yeah, I like the line. We we listen to them. They're t- discussing Interpol, and one of these because these are the comic relief, right? One of the guys says, "Why do they call it Interpol? Why not Europol?" And then the other guy responds, "I had a Europol at the oh, doctor's yeah. office once, and I couldn't sit straight for a week." <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any it's sense. It's a bad joke, and that's the first line of the film. It's a baffling um, saying, but I think micro and macro, those two characters, <laughs> oh, I didn't pick develop up that. throughout the film better than any yeah. two characters on on screen. They, they've got an incredible uh, uh, relationship, and they they really do bounce each off each other off really well. But they're not given any good lines to bounce off each other. That's the problem. They've got the chemistry and you can see it there, but I don't think any of the lines deliver. All right. Well, what about this one? Uh, I think maybe Dennis Rodman's like, hey, I'm losing the audio from the feed. And then they're like, yeah, but what about that picture? That's better than my cable. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. That's hilarious. So then Dennis Rodman shows up and he's in what can only be described as like a yellow motocross (laughs) outfit with a yellow helmet and a yellow motorbike. For this whole scene, he doesn't take his helmet off. And I'm like, oh, cool. This is like, they only really got Dennis Rodman for a couple of days on this film. They've got people in masks and they've like done his voiceover later. I love that. But yeah, there's some people doing flips. Uh, There's a guy that does a flip in this fight scene. And it's like one of those ones where they show the same flip from three different angles in a row, like the complete (laughs) flip, just to really get their money's worth out of the stunt. Doesn't that go to show the the lengths that they went to to make a blockbuster smash? To be able to film the same thing from three different angles or to do, you know, perhaps three different takes. It really shows that they were striving to make a, a cinematic hit here. And it signals that they had the budget for at least th- three cameras, which is pretty swish. <laughs> well, they spent it all on Dennis Rodman, surely. Right. <laughs> and, and trips to France, because this movie's set in France, is that right? Yeah, look, and, and you know what? The south of France is a lot more expensive than the rest of France. So you know, it's it's a it's a bougie it's a bougie setting, um, beautiful sets. I don't know what it's like to get 
uh, the clearance to film in places like that. I'm guessing it's just cheaper than filming it in a in a Hollywood setting. It's, it's it's hard to know why why they did a lot of it there. But it's like a tourism ad or something, isn't it? Like it feels like that's wedged in there a lot. They go to wineries. They're playing bocce. They're showing all the streets of France. I mean, I'll be honest. I thought it was Italy for a long long time. I was I watched this movie at one point five speed though. One thing that made me think that it was Italian it was a very Gamora opening with the the uh, Ashton the orphan his like renegade gang driving around on scooters that screamed Gamora to me that that uh that crime family uh, mafia drama um, that cult one but yeah the, the way they they hooned around on scooters that that did seem really Italian to me. Yeah, and I thought the game of bocce that they play, which is the metal ball throwing game that Dennis Rodman plays. I mean, they got to make him play some sport in this movie, so they make him play bocce. I just assumed that was Italian as well. It was scripted that he would be playing basketball, and he was like, "Guys, no, I'm not going to." (laughs) Yeah, they they got to get the French basketball, which is bocce. I think they really go to lengths to take it away from France and just do this pan European thing. I mean, we've got this. Uh, general who comes in pretty soon after all these scenes. It's very hard to place where he's from. You know, he's kind of dressed in this uh, Eastern Bloc military outfit. It's it's hard to place the time and place of where he'd exist. There's this very ambiguous accent that he has. So, yeah, it's not necessarily set in France. It's, it's yeah. more set in Europe for the American audience. You know who he reminded me of? At first, I thought Jude Law, but the more he spoke, I thought he sounded like the actor Christoph Waltz yeah, if, same. He, if he was played by down. a guy that looked like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> it's like a Tarantino-Waltz collaboration, like Inglorious Bastards, like Django Unchained, except it's Tarantino playing Christoph Waltz. That's what it <laughs> felt like to me. Wait, who did you think looked like Christoph Waltz? No, the sounded, bad sounded guy. like. He sounded like Christoph Waltz. He looked like Tarantino. Yeah, so I, I feel like we haven't explained what, what what's even happening, right? Like, there's there, there's there, there's an attempted arms deal uh, where some guy's got some massive weapon and then we're introduced <laughs> to... What was his name again? The the bad guy in the film? Interestingly, he's not... Uh, no, no, Ashton Ashton is the... Yeah, he's the, the, the orphan who's got the gang. Uh, it, it's very hard to figure out who it is because a lot of the information about who's cast in it, playing whose character, it kind of runs out there. <laughs> you know, it's, they don't go right. too deep. There's like seven <laughs> people listed. So there's, it's established that we've got some weird fucking Englishy guy who's a bit weird and, and certainly <laughs> uh, camp, I guess, trying to buy some kind of mega weapon. And that seems to be all he's interested in. And, and, and then... That that scene ends right. Yeah. We essentially no. He pull the scientist or like older guy pulls out of the deal, and then and then he gets chased down by like people on um, motorbikes, is it motorbikes right. or scooters, scooters kind of thing. Then we're introduced to the real villain who's like, and he's like, sorry, I don't want to do the deal anymore. I've cancelled it. The the weapon isn't for sale anymore. And we know the guy, the bad guy's bad because the fly is flying around, right? Like the security camera fly that that our monks are, are directing, 
And the bad guy's like, oh, this bug. And he pulls out like a samurai sword and like slices the fly in half. That was sick. Oh, yeah. And somebody's response to that is what kind of man kills another man's fly? Oh, no. Yeah. So he he has the conversation with him and he sa- and the guy's like, I don't want to do the deal anymore. He leaves. And then the bad guy says almost to himself, like, mother taught me to always leave a lasting impression. <laughs> and then these bikies come and kind of bust up the, the guy who got away. And that's when Rodman drives in and he does this insanely long jump. It's like on this pier, like a jetty at night where all these yachts are and stuff. And he does this jump that's like 30 meters through the air but from the angle it looks like he's just going to land in the water i watched i went back and watched this like twice and i'm like i can't tell if he's gonna land this or not it's just like a mad over air stunt yeah and what does he do he breaks it up essentially right or he sort of gives his warning to the bad weird orphan man that hey you can't buy weapons mate because that's bad he does, he does the classic like steps off the motorcycle and like <laughs> we, we start at his feet and we're lifting the camera up across his whole body. Finally, we get to his head and he takes off his really tight motorcycle mask and he's got yeah. all the Dennis Rodman face piercings and you just feel like they get pulled up by the motorcycle mask as he takes it off. That's right. Yeah. You're worried he's going to rip his piercings out. He's got the blonde and hair. And also you're just struck by this. He's a fucking giant. Like you're struck by this massive face with like long stretched out jaw and like big dangly earrings and stuff and he he sort of always looks like he's just woken up and he immediately just starts dunking on everyone oh i've got to look at this for an hour and a half (laughs) it's it's a it's a full-on fucking thing i I think he's gorgeous to look at he's he's tall (laughs) he's he's built you know he's, he's so so uniquely uh, styled himself, and and he just looks like he's such a cool guy to hang around. He's such a go with the flow guy. The fact that that is then the mask to his underworld of fighting evil. Oh, what a what a dreamboat! Like if you're hiring um, agents for your Interpol, you want them to blend in. You want them to be able to go undercover. You don't hire like a two meter tall dude. Yeah, know, right? tall. Looks like Dennis Rodman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they look. If you saw him in the street, you're like, he's either a basketballer or he's a secret agent. Like, there's a, they're the only two reasons you can dress like tall. that. No, you'd see him. You'd be like, he's so tall. There's no way he's a secret agent. That'd be dumb. He'd stick out like a sore thumb. He couldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Hiding in plain sight. There you go. That's smart. And it works, as we can see in this opening scene. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like if he was a basketballer as his cover, that would have been a fun addition to the story. If he was like, I play in the NBA, but I'm secretly a secret agent. And, you know, the world (laughs) knows me because I'm a basketballer, so I'm recognizable, but they don't know that I can also, like, bust up crime gangs. He always has to leave in the middle of games. Just for like yeah. no reason. If a fly comes onto the pitch, he's like, I gotta follow that outside. Sorry. Hey, maybe maybe in the sequel. Maybe that'll happen in the sequel to this, whenever they are gonna bring it out. <laughs> yeah. The sequel is Simon Said. You know Simon how LeBron said. is doing Space Jam two? They should have LeBron do Simon Says two as well. He should just take everyone. <laughs> right? Okay. That's that's an that. interesting point. Like we've seen all these huge uh heavyweight superstars, these um marquee players are championship teams become movie stars what is the movie in the works for kevin durant oh sorry not kevin durant um who'd you say lebron james the big wig Bro- yeah yeah king james like Wes. uh i don't know why i said kevin durant but yeah um what what what's what's his movie going to be all the all these marquee players get get films he's been in how a couple you, how do you rope him in 
Oh, he yeah. Was, he was in uh, Trainwreck, Judd Apatow's <laughs> Trainwreck with uh, Amy Schumer. Was he a b-baller in it? Uh, I feel like he played himself. Yeah. Did you ever see the trilogy of okay. movies about Matt you, Shervington? You, what? Morgan's lying. No, he's doing what they call a lie <laughs> on a podcast to make his friends laugh, and I'm not falling for it. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> I want to see them. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember how the fuck we. Yeah, what, how do you fit? How do you fit three movies worth of stuff about Matt Shervington? <laughs> Matt Shervington's career. I swear, the only thing people uh, talk about him is his scrotum. They don't talk about his. Be running. the star of like a buddy cop duo, and it'd be called. Um, to scurve and protect. No? Yeah, him and Kathy Freeman. Wait, hang on. <laughs> What's his name? Shervington or Scurvington? Sherving- to, to sherve and protect. To yeah, sherve sher- and protect. Shervington. Yeah, that's better. To sherve and protect. Yeah. Wh- what the hell happens next, Declan? All right. I can't remember this movie. From memory, uh, it cuts to like a beach in France and there's like a young kind of um, beautiful woman in a bikini and then Beautiful. she's hanging out with this really ripped <laughs> French dude who's shirtless. And he, she's like walking on the beach and he comes up to her doing those like crazy backflip handsprings. He does like oh, 20 yeah. of those gymnastic. <laughs> and then he's like, hey, baby, how's it going? And they kiss. And um, there's a bad guy around and he's kind of like watching from behind some corners. And and this, this sets up like the main plot. So I'm going to just jump ahead and give like the overview because I think it's really hard to listen to the podcast and not know kind of what's going on. Mm, it is. Dane Cook meets up with uh, Dennis Rodman and Dane Cook knows him from Langley. Like he was also CIA or at least went through the training and he's in France to try and find his boss's daughter who's gone missing and they think is kidnapped by some bad people. This boss's daughter is this uh, woman in the bikini on the beach and you find out pretty soon that she wasn't kidnapped. She's there of her own volition just with like a French boyfriend but for some reason her boss who must run the CIA or something, thinks she's kidnapped. And and that's the main plot in this thing, right? Yeah, it was the main thing and also one of the most problematic things in the movie. You know, imagine, imagine being, uh, you know, a, a young girl, whisking yourself away, doing a, a season in France, meeting a guy. He's filthy rich, lives in a villa on the sea in the south of France and... They've promised their love to each other forever. They want to get married. She wants to stay there forever. And her dad is planning a CIA op to hijack her, steal her, kidnap her away from this scene, which he hasn't a clue about. It's so bizarre that he didn't just pick up the phone and talk to her about what she's been doing in France. He's using all the power of of US intelligence agencies to retrieve his daughter, who... He could have just had a call to and said, "Hey, how's things going?" and and that does happen in the middle of this movie. Yeah, she she can cruise home anytime. I honestly just didn't understand why why I couldn't under I couldn't figure it out. It's like why why are they trying to save her? She's yeah. Fine. That man was a pig, horribly sexist, really like objectifying <laughs> yeah, his no, daughter. No. And you know what? Sadly, <laughs> and this is one of the underpinning reasons why it is just a pure one star film is is that she's constantly <laughs> just spoken to or spoken about without even asking her when she's in the room uh you know the the, the there's other, only one other female character in the movie these two never meet you know it fails oh that's right <laughs> fail fails every sex sexist check on all all I couldn't levels. even remember um, who that was yeah i felt bad for the daughter imagine having that that dream whipped away by your power monger father 
Now, the interesting thing is we, we've been watching these movies for a few months and they do start to blend together, but there's also some connections, right? So we've seen action films around this time, like the early 2000s, early 90s with Ballistic X versus Severin. There's definitely some similarities in the music and the style of filming. But the female character in this, that young daughter who's maybe she's like 19, 20 and she's off in in Europe finding love with uh, hunky men, that's basically the plot to Bolero, right? That yeah. This could be a mixture. <laughs> those, yeah. those two plots could be combined to make one yeah. double awful film. <laughs> I really like that. And I think you're uh, like understating how hunky this guy yeah. is. He is such a pedigree human, just loaded. He's got butlers. He's got like lakes at his property which is on on the coast in the south of France. He is so well-equipped physically that when the first, you know, attempted kidnapping of the guy's daughter goes down, he's there with a a pistol and kung fu moves fighting the star of the show, Dennis Rodman, and having a pretty good go at it. Like, I was really impressed at him fighting for the love. Yeah, full Kung Fu. You know, the way it's set up, you think maybe there is some sort of, like, duplicity going on. Perhaps she's there. Yeah. She's been persuaded to stay there. He's charming her to then deceive her. But, you know, that that that's a, that is that that isn't a real thing. He's genuinely in love with her and he's fighting for her. I thought that as well. I'm like, this has to be going somewhere because it, do- it doesn't make sense that she's just living a happy life with this guy. Like, he has to be a double-crosser. He has to be working for the bad guys or something. Uh, let's talk quickly about the fighting because pretty much everyone in this in this little tomato can fight their ass off. Dennis Rodman has to do the most fighting. Oh, yeah. And there was something about the way, because of his physicality, his length, like the just the length of his arms and legs <laughs> and the speed... He is not very graceful. He's not very agile. I know he's a professional athlete and I know he was a really good basketball player. He won like six championships with the Bulls, but he's not a trained martial artist and they just didn't seem to care. They're like, look, you get what you can get. So he swats off punches like it's so hard to describe, but he looks strangely unathletic. He looks like one of those inflatable tube men (laughs) while he's fighting. You know what, what? One thing he does have going for him though is when he runs, <laughs> he has got one hell of a gait. His strides, he, he, his arms are long, his legs oh, are long, true. he gets right into it. He's like pushing himself at 45 degrees when he's when he's leaning into his run. He's he's fast. That I think that's where he shines. He's, he's better at a Hollywood run than <laughs> the king of Hollywood runs, Tom Cruise. Oh. I reckon you put those two face-to-face on the big screen you know who's going to win. I want to see those two next to each other because Tom Cruise is is famously <laughs> very short and Dennis Rodman is not. And just watching them in a sprint where Tom Cruise would be taking three steps for every Hoop, one wow. stride of Rodman. Can we set this up somehow? Dennis Rodman would, <laughs> would bounce him. He would dunk with Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't know, Tom. Tom Cruise. He, I mean, he's an operating Phaeton level eight, and at that you can point, throw down. You know, he's gone completely clear. Yeah, you can throw down. He's got a license to kill. Always uh, coming back to this license. <laughs> always going to come back <laughs> to Tom part. Cruise's license to kill. People are licensed to kill. They gave Dane Cook a lot of freedom in this movie. There were times oh. where they just let him roll uh, yeah. for thirty seconds with a joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he. That's what he liked. The joke do. being pretending to be a dog. That's that's a good thirty seconds of fucking. So the bad guys come up to them 
and maybe Dennis Rodman's had to go fight the guy. And Dane Cook's kind of doing the like uh, loudmouth, fast talking, annoying best friend who speaks a good game, but can't, you know, he can't fight or anything. Mm. And then he's like, you want me to go Jurassic Park on him? And then he does, <laughs> I would say at least 30 straight seconds of him just doing like, uh, you know, crab it claw T-Rex arms Man. and just going like, rah, went forever. Rah. how embarrassing. This was one of those bits that it worked for me because I watched it at 1.5 speed. So the, the timing for some of these jokes ended up working working out very well that's <laughs> oh, true <laughs> when you see the runtime to a tomato like this which i think was like a tight 85 minutes it was 85 including credits so that end. means it was like 78 oh yes it felt longer they've done well to drag it out <laughs> yeah that's why the, the, like the fact that they had room to just let dane cook do 30 straight seconds of jurassic park impression is like man they're padding this out already like this thing's only 85 minutes with credits i liked it when he was asleep and he was humping the couch oh and then he, no. and then he woke up and he was like i had a dream i was with drew barrymore oh. who were playing monopoly oh. that was such a sick burn on monopoly and on drew barrymore and just on the whole <laughs> yeah. system yeah they really there. showed the parker brothers who was boss with yeah. that <laughs> such so a true. subversive comedian but that's another good example that's 20 seconds of him pretending to be asleep and like humping and kissing the side of this couch and like hugging this pillow and then waking up and be like oh yeah sorry i was having a dream about drew barrymore <laughs> He loves it. I remember. I remembered part of the movie just now. The reason he's in the movie is that this daughter, who's been allegedly kidnapped, quote unquote, um, her father sent Dane Cook with a military like weapon on CD-ROM yes. to go and trade it with the gangsters to get her back, even though she hadn't been um, been uh, uh, kidnapped. Anyway, while he's on on his way to deliver this weapon on a CD-ROM, whatever that may be. Um, he bumps into Simon <laughs> and we haven't told everyone the name of the main character is Simon, Apparently, um, who says he bumps into him and, and they're trying to catch up and Dane Cook's trying to like bring him into his plan to exchange the briefcase cause he needs backup or something. And Dane Cook's trying to be really like persuasive and flamboyant and stuff. And he says, come down to the beach. I'll buy you lunch. And um, yeah, yeah, Simon yeah. says, no way, I'm not doing that. And he's like, it's a figure of speech. I'm like, well, that's not a figure of speech. What are you that's talking about? That's the kind about? of tricks Dane Cook will play And also on. that's not a punchline. I did feel tricked by having him in that role. I, w- I was so yeah. gobsmacked that yeah, the boss yeah. of the CIA or whatever it was, the father of um, Claire, would send Dane Cook's character, Nick Miranda, with, with that... <laughs> with the with the basically a, a what software for a nuclear weapon or something something to that power he sent that guy who later admits that he failed the training of the CIA it just goes beyond um, yeah. comprehension that Dane Cook was the person chosen for that crucial role it it, it boggles the mind he's got no training he's not even in the CIA. How did he get linked up with it? And, you know, he's got such a hot head. He's very annoying. Oh, in, that, in that first scene right. where they're about to do the exchange. Yeah. Where um, Dennis Rodman has been tricked into lunch down at the beach. He's actually been tricked into going down to the exchange, yeah. right? And Dane, Dane looks around for the daughter, doesn't see her initially, instantly flies off his handle. So uncool. Zero, zero, zero cool on that man. That's right. You can't have him in a in a sensitive diplomatic situation. You know, espionage. It's it's uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of subtleties to it, and this man is just not there yet. Yeah, yeah. 
There's always a MacGuffin, like yeah, a little cool. plot point that people are trying to track down in these in these movies. And in this, it's just the disc. They keep calling it the disc, which I know is like the term, and I'm sure I used that term for a CD, but it still dated it so Agreed. much for me. It's it just mm. felt so 90s. It's like it's on this disc, like it was new technology back then. And so uh, Nick, which is Dane Cook, um, he, he somehow loses the disc. And, and he goes to the church to pray for the disc. And right. this is such a dumb roundabout way of getting him to meet uh, our monk characters. But yeah, it's just a long shot of him talking to this statue of Jesus and being like, I'll do anything to get this disc back, man. I really need it for my boss. I came down here. I need the disc. <laughs> and then... Um, one of Rodman's uh, monk friends speaks to him through a mic, pretending to be God, and he's I like, "I believe it's micro, My, micro, and what's macro? That's Mac- right, yeah. macro, big." And Mac. he's just like, you know, uh, that's okay, Nick. If you want the disc, you should jump up and down. And then we get like a f- silly long scene of of him just being kind of forced to do stupid things, uh, and and then finally he's like, "Come to the confession booth where you can." Tell us all your secrets. He's like, I don't have anything to confess. He goes into the confession booth. The floor falls in and he goes into this underground tunnel, which takes him to the lair and he meets the monks and um, Simon. And he he already has met Simon, but yeah, he he finds out that they've got this whole like base. And they say this really stupid line where they introduce himself where they're like, uh, I think even Rodman says it. He's like, they're monks of death. And then they like fire blank guns at him they corner him and they just start shooting at him wildly but it's not hurting him but he's like i don't want to yeah, die just shooting ah. wildly it's crazy isn't it like that yeah you can really put yourself in um dane cook's shoes in that situation imagine going to church the one place you think you're safe to pray <laughs> that you get through this you know i'm taking it he's a religious guy they're being swept <laughs> into the basement of the church and being shot at by monks <laughs> if that fear would have caused you know your average person to die so that really does show that this guy perhaps is fortified with the strength to get through the mission but uh, yeah again shooting blanks at a man like on repeat yeah. it's it's crazy that they did that it's not just one it's like just opening fire on the dude <laughs> that's terrifying and that's when simon says to him that I need you to help me with whatever the nonsense is that proceeds after that point. And then he goes, and then he goes to Dane, he says, capiche? And then Dane Cook says, no, thanks, I'm not hungry. Getting capiche mixed up with quiche yes. for those playing at home. Or, or ceviche, maybe he <laughs> meant ceviche. There's uh, other words. And that's also why I thought it was Italian. He wants... French food. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. Very good. It's a good line. It's the best bit. It's why I slowed down the whole podcast so we could magnify it and just really zero in on this one. Okay. Capiche. All right. Oh. Maybe just it sounded like, yeah, it sounded like a um, international dish. <laughs> so he just assumed. Look, it's a good bit. Essentially is what I'm getting it's at. It's fair. Yeah. So Rodman and um, and Nick, uh, whatever his name, Dane Cook, like are now living together while they're trying to while they're trying to work together on this thing, I think. <laughs> and um and Rodman's like, All right, I gotta go out and take care of some business and Dane Cook says, All right, I'll come with you, I'll help mm, you. Stay. And he's like, No, you stay here and he gets angry about it. He's like, Stay here, stay here <laughs> to which Dane Cook 
responds, what am I, your dog now? And then he does a good 30 seconds of dog impression. <laughs> but also, I mean, like, this this is pedantic, but he plays the, the line was character. stay here, which is not something you say to your dog. You say stay. Yeah. And it wasn't delivered in, it, delivered in any way like you would to a dog, and it just upset Yeah, me. but I mean, you've got to be fair on old Donis Redmond there. Dane Cook does look like a dog. I guess he does. Oh, yeah, and he, this is just after he finished humping the couch. So then, yeah, the, we, we haven't mentioned that the other woman in this is... Uh, like an assassin type person who's also getting involved and has one of those like fun fighty relationships with Rodman where they know each other from the past and the, and they're always like, hey, it's you again. You never return my calls kind of thing, but they're beating the shit out of each other or like blocking each other's, you know, fights. And at one point he wraps her in this blanket in the middle of a fight and just leaves her kind of like tied up in it. But at this point, I think Rodman's like, trying to go and spy on this on this woman and Dan Cook's like, fine, I'll come with you and I'll help. Dane Cook hides up in this clock tower and then they introduce like an Asian bad guy who does more kind of kung fu. Everyone in this movie can do kung fu. It's a real martial arts movie. Other than Dane but Cook. I did notice that the the female assassin, some of her fighting in it is classic yeah. kind of wire work. A lot like of wire she'll work. do a jump or she'll get knocked back and she'll go like 10 meters into the air, you know? It's weird. It breaks it breaks this wall that isn't there. Like it's not Crouching Tiger. It's a fucking action movie. It's not The Matrix. It's a shitty action movie. And Dennis Rodman does it a couple of times too. He like jumps an inconceivable, although he is a basketballer, but he jumps from like one platform to another and you just sort of see him float. Oh, because he can do that? Through the sky, like, like, like a Super Mario jump or something. Actually, that was interesting. Interesting. Yeah, he could only do certain stunts while holding a basketball. Yeah, they have to CGI out the ball out. The other thing I noticed in this is that um, none of the blows have any impact on each other in these fights, and no one seems to get sweaty. They don't break a sweat. They don't get puffed at all. It's just this kind of like intense hand-to-hand combat for like five minutes at a time, and then they end and they have like a bit of dialogue, but no one ever feels anything. Goons from it. die though. Goons get shot. Goons get exploded. Oh, yeah. And there's that one time that the female assassin and Dennis Rodman end up having sex during their fight. That was pretty great. Uh, that was amazing, though. That's right. Oh, that was... Uh, there were a couple couple of moments like that that were just like... Because as a viewer, when you're first introduced to this woman, she's like a worthy adversary of, um, of Rodman and they're fighting and stuff and they're both holding their own. And she, she she is actually her martial arts are like that was one of the one of the times I thought oh wow this movie actually looks good is when she was fighting I thought she was very good, um, maybe not in acting but with her with her martial arts but they're fighting and it's meant to be this kooky oh look it's so funny they're fighting, um, but it comes off as really predatory it's like they're fighting and every you know you have like this kung fu fight and you hold a move and you like block someone and then there's a, a beat for Simon to say something and he says like. Um, how about we go out for a drink? And then she fights back and stuff. But it's not done in like a funny, kooky way. It's just like kind of weird. And then the next time he stops her and he says, or a swim? And no. <laughs> and then it goes on longer. And then eventually he like throws her off him and says something like, then suit yourself. But it's just, yeah, it's it doesn't play properly. It's it had a really awkward vibe to it. You know what though? When they when they do when they do get down to it, you know, they've obviously met their match. They've got yeah. their history. Absolutely. The feelings, however deeply they push them down, boiled up to the surface. <laughs> when they do actually start making love, it's oh. one of 
the most powerful sex scenes I've ever seen in my life. I agree. Life. I thought it was a cinematic marvel. Yeah. It was pure ecstasy. When they yes. they finally get into bed together, this is where you actually start to see some sweat. They they strip down mm. and the lady, I don't, I don't know the exact phrase she used, but she basically says, let's turn it up a notch, throws her arm down, hits a big button, <gasps> and it turns the bedroom into yes. this ecstasy laced rave with strobe light and yeah. thumping tunes and and you just see them oh, two yeah. writhing in the in the pulsing of the light it, <laughs> it's it's incredible and and you know yes. rodman's got a history of of freaky sex so i think they've tried to play up to that and set the mood so yeah. he he's either comfortable or maybe he himself had a decision in how this sex scene was going to play out but for me that was actually the scene of the whole movie i agree he he killed it and the lighting and everything was just sick it was it was a really powerful fucking scene it was insane you know how kids used to want to have like a, a bedroom like hey arnold yeah this is that that room has has replaced that goal the, the little button you press that turns it into a rave it was so fun Okay, Aiden, I'm looking. I'm looking at this uh, video <laughs> conference that we've got. Your room is basically halfway there. I'm, oh, that's I'm looking true. at what three, four different synths. Yeah, that's right. I just, I just need <laughs> the strobe light. I, I, I don't think you're going to get too many girls up in there. <laughs> I need a bed in here as well. Yeah. <laughs> the other part about this scene is that it starts with a fight. So it's Rodman versus this assassin woman, and they're fully clothed. At they're the beginning. fully clothed, but. In the fight, they're ripping off each other's clothes That's as they right. go. So it's like blow after blow, tear after tear. They're getting like they're not undressing themselves. They're still actually fighting, but you know the the heat's getting turned up. And then, yeah, just just the bedroom rave, the making love under the frames of the strobe light coming in and out, the '90s nightclub music kind of happening. <laughs> it really comes out of nowhere, but it is some powerful stuff. Hayden, you're you're pretty familiar with like '90s rave. Like, what does that Seen summarize a lot of what was happening in the clubs in those days. <laughs> I, I, in a particular time or place, is there a place or time you could reference it to? Admittedly, I wasn't. I wasn't in the clubs in the nineties. I just wished I was. But um, <laughs> no. So, so so the only the only trope that I was picking up on was the soundtrack in general. So like, and, and they they di- they didn't have a lot of it, by the way. Like they reused many many pieces of the same piece over and over again. Um. <laughs> I like that kind of music. I like big beat, um, break beats and shit like that. So, so I was kind of into the music, except for, it was like again, it was like, actually back in the '90s, you could get CDs made by people. They they took popular songs and they covered them to sound almost exactly the same, and then would try and release the CD like in uh, Asian and European markets, I think. And they were just like cheap, like two dollar shop versions of popular songs. The music sounded like this. There was one in particular that was like trying to monopolize on um, the prodigy and music like that when that was happening. And I remember listening to like a really dodgy $2 shop version of Breathe or something and just finding it so funny. That's what this soundtrack (laughs) sounded like. Imitation. Before we move on from the sex scene, I want to mention Dennis Rodman has a video that I think he did an interview with Vice where he talks about the three different times that he broke his penis during sex. <laughs> and so if you've seen that video and then you see a movie where he has a sex scene, you're just like, oh man, it could happen again. Like, be careful with that thing because uh, he has had some wild nights. <laughs> the morning after this sex scene as well, she knees him in the balls and he's like, what was that for? And I like this line. She goes, for coming over here and thinking you'd get what you got. That's like, 
she could have need him in the balls if they didn't have sex but they did have sex but she decided to name in the balls anyway i thought i thought that was good i like yeah i just i've have written down here that when she just before she hits that that button that turns on all the strobes and turns her room into a sex cauldron i thought they closed that place down <laughs> she she says i don't know what they're talking about we got we got to finish this fight and she says later right now i want to work out Mm. Work out. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. That's what it That's was. That's when you know it's on. Uh, there was a point where they kind of had her kidnapped before this fight. And I think um, Dane Cook was like responsible for kind of holding her hostage, like keeping her tied up. <laughs> Rodman's like, how'd you let her get away? Or maybe she says something and her mouth is meant to be bound. And he's like, I tried to gag her with grapes instead of a potato, but she just kept eating them. <laughs> yeah. <I> was- <laughs> it's. Who wrote his lines? None of them make sense. I'm telling sense. you, they, they let him go. They just let him let him rip. Yeah, it's so bad. Though. Do you guys None do you guys remember is... this um, car chase scene that they're in as well? I, th- I was gonna say we missed the greatest car chase of all time. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it's so good because all the external shots are obviously just stuntmen doing skids, and uh, I mean the car does some crazy stuff. Side it gets wheelies. on its side on two wheels, and it's and it's dodging bullets and all this stuff. Uh, Rodman's driving. Dane Cook's in the passenger seat. But all of the internal shots of it are just these weird, wacky, like instant zoom in and zoom outs of their faces oh, yeah, yeah, as yeah. they're trying oh, to do yeah. their dialogue. But yeah, the car, get, like this, I, I don't know how you get a car on its side and drive it on its two sick. side wheels. Like, yeah. is that is that a trick? Is it on a rope? Is it? They had a button for it, didn't you see? They had two buttons in the car, one for, one for the left side to pop up and one for the other right. And Dane Cook has one line in this where he goes, Simon, these guys are like my college loan officers. They just keep coming. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I like that joke. <laughs> he finally struck gold with that one. Mitch, do you want to tell the good folks at home how this set this scene ends, this car chase? I mean, the reason that he tilts up or, or goes and does a side wheelie is so he can push the bad guys off the cliff uh, with his car and then they, they, they uh, escape by speeding off a cliff and uh, the, the roof rips off and it goes into slow-mo and then a parachute comes up and Nick is terrified. Nick Miranda is about to hyperventilate and die and uh, Dennis Rodman just says... Caucasians, <laughs> like it's it's it's. Yeah, Caucasians hate flying off the edge of a cliff in a car. They don't understand parachutes. These Caucasians. You know what? The worst thing about that is, though, we we failed to mention it. Is that, uh, however unsafe that is, Claire, the kidnapped daughter, is bound and gagged on the back seat of this convertible. <laughs> Just no strap. She's not got any seatbelt on. She's unconscious. This car's rocking back and forth. The the uh, disregard for her life is um is is pretty rampant considering that they're there to save her. Well, they gagged her because she wouldn't shut up, which of course. Oh, that's who. Yeah, that's who they were meant to gag. Now, when Rodman says, you know, the line of the century, Caucasians. It's in response to Dane Cook vomiting because they've just been doing all this crazy car stuff, spinning around. Oh, that's right. They vomit. I was watching this with my girlfriend, Alex, and she has basically a phobia for watching people vomit. Like, she hates it. It really disgusts her. And you never really think about this, but once you watch movies with someone who has this phobia, it is like every single movie and TV show. Literally, I would say 90% of shows. Like, you don't really think about it, but... We, we sit there, someone vomits, and we look at each other, and she's like, 
It's every it's every show. Like it's it's not even it's 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 way past a joke. I've probably Fuck. watched two hundred movies with her, and it's like such a high percentage. So now I'm um, I'm going to be real careful if I ever make any movies, just to not have a vomit scene for that one person who has that phobia. I've made several movies, and and I've I've never put in a vomit scene. Wow! Check out some of my cinema hits. Do you want me to introduce you to my girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, just just share the movies. That's that's the best thing. You know, you don't want to meet your heroes. That's what they say. <laughs> We've seen a lot of movies, though. I can't remember vomiting in any of the movies on this list so far. Uh... I guarantee, if we went back, a few of them would have vomit scenes because okay, wow, you don't crazy. think about it until until you have it as a fear, and then you're like, "Wow, it is really really common." Is are they always doing the same kind of vomit, or do they come up with new and exciting techniques for showing vomit? Well, the funny thing is, most vomit scenes it comes out of nowhere. It's not like you have a few seconds of someone be like, mm, "Hold on a sec, I think I'm about to hell." It's just like it's people sitting there, and then Wah! and and so it kind of catches you off guard. You don't even get the ability to be like, "I don't want to see this and cover your face." What's your favorite fake vomit? Oatmeal. Minestrone soup. Pea and, pea and ham soup. Yeah, minestrone soup. That's a good one. Pea and ham. Yeah. That's the classic. Okay, so they land their car. <laughs> they land their car after parachuting it off a cliff. Over a bad green screening as well. We see them like floating around. Yeah. It's almost like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory or something. They're Candy just like, is dandy. yeah, nicely in the wind. And then they, they just land on the beach or something, don't they? I've done a fair bit of green screen work. And the most important thing is angle, then it's lighting. So the lighting's all right, but. The angle, so they're front on. We're looking at their faces through the windscreen and we're then all of a sudden looking bird's eye down to the ocean and the sand. It just really is the worst perspective <laughs> to try and make it look real at all. They've gone to no effort to, to try and mimic what it would actually be like. If we did have that angle, it would be sky. You know, maybe change up the angle a little bit. But yeah, it's, that was weak. That was weak for me. They go to all the effort of having a parachute <laughs> on a car, yeah. but they don't get that right. That's right. For shame. This is where the girl has a phone call with her dad. And he's <laughs> like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm just here with my boyfriend. And and you're like, wow. I understand like a twist in a story or taking your expectations down one road and then turning it another way. But when... When the way that it goes is not dramatic at all, why would you make that choice? There's no conflict now. She can either stay or she can go. There's no, like, none of this stuff needs to happen anymore. But see, this is where the whole movie falls apart, and I don't understand. So, what is their actual plan? They are going to, so that the guys that, oh, fuck. The guys that they've retrieved her or essentially kidnapped her from, they were going to use her as a hostage. They just hadn't started using her as a hostage yet. I don't, I don't understand what... I think they were saying she was a hostage when she was actually just staying there anyway. And they were opportunistically <laughs> using that to say she was... Okay, so they were a, pretending a this whole time that they she was a hostage. Oh, uh, I didn't just get, get that. I just didn't get that. I thought they were going to any minute suddenly be bad guys and, and actually kidnap her. But okay, all right, that makes more sense. I, I know it raises a lot of questions. I thought that they were going to get the disc from the general, but instead they need it from the CIA. Why, why does the CIA have the same weapons codes as a pan-European general? Yeah, it was so, so, so that was weird as well. Is it like, yes, so they needed to source a physical weapon and they went and got that, which was allegedly some kind of weird laser that can shoot 300 kilometers. It had a 300 kilometer radius something laser. I remember them saying that. Which isn't very long for, for military standards. Right, well. You know, some, some of those uh, missiles that they launch can, can 
loop around the earth if they wanted to. Oh, see, I was thinking of like explosion or damage radius. Oh, that's pretty big. Yeah, that's big. That is huge in that case. But but maybe I think your thinking makes more sense, to be honest, which was going to bring me a spoiler alert at the end. This thing detonates. Okay? It's one house. And the damage it does is like, it just seems like it's a bomb that explodes a building. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know what super weapon about it. Anyway, so... They go off, they, they have this bad guy who we need to talk more about because he's insane. Some weird like English dude who's meant to be all weird and weedy and creepy because he was an orphan. Yeah. He, he's, he has this one line where he says, um, reminds me of Christmas mornings back at the orphanage. Yeah. I think I'm going to cry. Like that's his backstory is that he was an orphan. So now he's yeah. pure evil. Why is he an orphan? He's meant to be like a Mr. Burns type character. Why is he an orphan? Why would you make him sympathetic in any way? He, sh- he should be the owner of the orphanage, surely. He kind of reminded me of what Mr. Bean might be like if he could talk. He seemed very Mr. Beany. If you knew what Mr. Bean was really planning. <laughs> he does seem like a bit of the owner of the orphanage, though, because he's got this uh, almost infinite supply of goons and henchmen on motorbikes and mopeds with guns and real intense face makeup like almost clown like they that's that's the orphans that's right. gang you know that's that's a it's a it's very i don't know if you've guys seen the cult smash the warriors oh. but they they scream to be a similar gang like what you would find in the warriors no. that this guy is in charge of they're scary i think they're yeah. the scariest bad guys that i've seen in a long time i was i was thinking the warriors and a, a clockwork orange as well when i saw the, yeah. these guys yep. i was like the eye makeup. Yeah. Actually, yeah. He he seems to be channeling, I don't know, the, the main character in Clockwork Orange. Alex sorry. something. Malcolm McDowell. Alex. He seems, to, he seems to be channeling him in his performance, the, the main bad guy. That's what I was thought of. I was like, oh, this is a really, really bad attempt at your, like, Kubrick moment. And I'm sorry, buddy. You're not... Well, I, I, went to the Stanley, I went to the Stanley Kubrick uh, exhibit that was happening at the Design Museum in Kensington in London. And when it got to the Clockwork Orange section... There was this big quote on the wall saying, I hope that uh, this style, these characters inspire uh, Hollywood in the 90s. Specifically 1999. And, uh, and, and there he's, he's gone and done it. So these guys are fulfilling, these guys are fulfilling, you know, the dreams of Stanley Kubrick by, by doing it. I think that's a subtle nod to, you know, how great Kubrick was and how, how in tune with, with cinema these guys who made this are. I reckon Kubrick's great. I can solve a Stanley Kubrick cube in under a minute. <laughs> Stanley Rubik's cube. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's actually funny that you say that because uh, in a Space Odyssey 2001, that spinning tube, that's actually close to 10,000 Rubik's cubes glued together. Whoa. That's why and that that's how he got his that's how he got his name. That's how they made it look so good. <laughs> That's how he got started. That's how he got his name. Yeah, you just use crazy methods like that. <laughs> That's how he got started, gluing new Rubik's Cubes together. <laughs> yeah. Old Rubik's Cube. <laughs> you got micro, you got macro, and one of them is known as Free Willy as well, and then he does a Free Willy impersonation. I believe that's the larger one. That would make it funnier. Can I can I ask, sorry, is, is macro is micro the fat one? Because it's no. funny, or no, he is actually that macro. Would, that would be funny. Micro 
Yeah, wait, he is micro, right? Well, macro's sm- macro's smaller. So m- micro, if he's the bigger one, that kind of makes uh, makes sense. I can't tell if who's being sarcastic and who's not right now. Is the joke that the fat guy's called it micro, be the other way or is his name yes. Macro? It is okay, and that that's that's actually the case in the movie. Yeah, the big guy is called micro. <laughs> okay. You're right. Wait, what? The big guy <laughs> Thank is <you>. micro. <laughs> Bro, hold on a second. Stop the train. No, don't say that. Now I'm confused again. <laughs> It should be the other way around in the literal sense, but not in to make the film better sense. It de- <laughs> when when these guys, um, I think they come into Simon and they've got like a file on the bad guy, some notes, and they hand the notes over. And then there's also just they hand over like a picture of a young Chelsea Clinton because this was made in 1999. So she was just a young girl. Um, which was like, yeah, just a weird thing to see. But I, I quite like these guys' relationship, the two micro and macro. Like they have a bit of banter. They do this riff in this scene where one of them, like they're just literally doing bits to each other. One of them is just yes. like, doctor, doctor, check my pulse. And he's like, oh, you have anxiety. You should eat a pizza. Like, I just don't think any of the lines were good. I agree entirely that they had the relationship and they had the chemistry on screen, but nothing they had to say was Good, That's what made it so good though. There's all this build up. There's like you're like yeah, watching it. There's and you're no like, relief. Yeah? Uh huh. It's just like ah, oh, take a pizza. You're like ah, oh, that's. That's what you got. It's hilarious. To jump man. ahead, we get um, there's some, a lot of hand-to-hand combat. One scene ends with Dane Cook falling into a bin. <laughs> One scene ends with the French hunky guy being put into a trolley and pushed down some stairs. Mm. The bad guys kind of surround the young lovers and the French guy has to like fight his way out. And towards the end, Rodman finally meets the bad guy. <laughs> the bad guy's like, drop your gun. And, and he's like, you know, he gets caught. He's like, drop your gun. Rodman has to drop his gun. And then he goes, kick it away like the little footballer you are. Which, <laughs> is so again, like they, he, they will not let him be a basketballer in this movie. I, f- I reckon it was the other way around. I reckon... Yeah. Rodman refused to be acknowledged as a baller and was keeping this he refused as separate from his basketball career as possible <laughs> I, I almost imagine that like the commissioner of the NBA or something was like hey we read the script that you're going to do that movie in the off season you're not allowed to have any connection to basketball we don't want any association with mm. this we don't want people to think we sanctioned this if you watch The Last Dance which is the documentary on the Chicago Bulls during that period which is on Netflix at the moment at the end of the 10th episode after the credits in sort of a Marvel movie style thing in this epilogue, they explain what you just said, Declan. That is the sole reason that that team broke up and didn't get back together again was uh, <laughs> Rennes Dodman's involvement in this movie. Because he would have made them come to the premiere and they would have been like, oh, you know, is it is it cool like Space Jam? Like the kids love that. And he's like, yeah, I did my own movie. I kind of play a James Bond character and I do a pretty good job. And then they'd have to just be like, yeah, man, that was good. <laughs> is there a scene where they have to sneak into your house and get the Nike sneakers? Dude, that was the best. That was the best part of that movie. Yeah, I like that part. Can, can I just bring up, I don't know when the fuck this happens, but um, at one point... Rodman's on a beautiful yellow motorcycle in another car chase and he's chased through a tunnel and he full Tony Hawks it. He drives up the wall of the tunnel and does a full like loop the loop over the roof over the ceiling of the tunnel. I, I don't know how to explain this in audio format, but he does the loop the loop whilst driving forward. I think if you've seen Men in Black, there's that classic scene where he says, are you wearing a seatbelt or some shit? And he's like, no, I don't wear a seatbelt. And then he turns the car upside down on the roof of the tunnel. That ha- <laughs> that happened in this movie. It was pretty cool. I, what, what do you guys think? Do you think that was actually Rodman? 
Oh, what, what, one thing about stunts like that, I thought the stunts in the movie were exceptional. You know what I was saying about the green screen before, how that was weak. The fact that there's very little green screen in it really shows how much live action there was, how much coordination, how much choreography went into Rodman it. Rodman does so his own stunts. That's, that's one of the strongest parts <laughs> of assume. the movie, uh, how much they just <laughs> threw at it. I, yeah, I was in awe during the scene where Dennis Rodman runs through the kitchen and then um, has he has an incredible fight mm. it's choreographed through there, but then eventually jumps out the window and slides down this pipe. But like he jumps out the window and he falls out the window. This is like a 20 meter drop and he uses the pillar <laughs> next to him as sort of a support to slow down his momentum, which just wouldn't work in any scenario and then there's spikes there that catch his jacket and he jumps off at the end just at the last minute and lands on his feet like essentially doing a 360 flip while just jumping out a window and using the building to propel himself and slow himself down it's madness but it sort of it works on film for me somehow it didn't look clumsy I was watching it at one and a half speed though, so maybe that's why. I will say, yeah, that it, it was genuinely impressive. Like, as shitty as this movie is, the scope of it is pretty impressive when you kind of when you look at some of these scenes. Like, there's a lot of uh, bike fights and uh, lots of flipping cars and a lot of explosions. I I, I was happy, oh, that was I was happy the craziest with that. shit. Those shots were the worst in the movie. Just him shooting up. Like you can only see his face and his and his arms. Like just looked like he was missing his lower body they really did set the danger he was in quite well i mean just from that same rooftop that he had to jump from we see a man fall to his death no nobody it's uh it's brutal stuff and the fact that he you know launched himself onto a what a support pole and then shot his way down it really really shows how uh, <laughs> he's too tall <laughs> I, I guess physical yeah, he is, how well yeah. trained he was you know he's doing his own stunts this is like the third time I think now we've seen someone fall off a building onto a car. Is that correct? Three in a row, I believe. We've seen this a few times in these movies. We've seen one guy deliberately do it to land in the car. And we've seen one guy die. And then we've seen another guy die. Pretty good stuff. Piano into a car as well. <laughs> While he was falling as well, he was shooting back up at them. So <laughs> mm. On the stunts, with, with how extreme they are, how well uh, you know choreographed they are, you mentioned this guy before, but he barely gets mentioned in the film, in the credits. He's only titled as bodyguard. It's this dude named Zhang Jinjin. He's the mm, martial artist yeah. bodyguard in the movie. He's like a Hollywood great when it comes to uh, yeah choreographed martial arts fighting and stunts. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I'm saying he's like on Jackie Chan level. Yeah. Uh, except for yeah. um, being the the household name of of stunts, and I wouldn't I would be very surprised if he didn't have a lot to do with all of the orchestration right. of the stunts. I I think he oh, played a pivotal role in it, <laughs> and then that role is somewhat of a cameo more than anything, an extended cameo. That's why he's in it. So this was a movie that, uh, in terms of ticking off like '90s action movie bingo cards, it hits a lot of the good ones. I'd say my favorite is when the three numpty characters, you got Micro, Macro, and Dane Cook, face what was perhaps the greatest threat of the 90s, quicksand. Quicksand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't place them. Were they in the basement of their laboratory? Mm. Were they at their place? 
Yeah, something like that. I think they'd gone somewhere else yeah, at that point. I think okay, they were, okay. No, no, they were in their place because they knew where the quicksand was. It was sort of like this is our booby trap room down the, underneath our. Oh. Yeah. And then we get a whole lot of like chasing and shooting and motorbike tricks and explosions. And we also get like a really good CGI animation where mm. the, you know how Clippy from like Microsoft Word used to give people advice and uh, people yeah. really hated this paperclip character. They have a thing like that where the boss gets the software on the disc and he puts it in and it's like literally a small animation on his computer. It's like, congrats, boss, you got the software. <laughs> like, wow, this is like a really good AI. It's like a digital friend of his. Such a good assistant. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're in the final scene of the movie, right? It's a showdown where the guy is about to launch this massive mega weapon. And I'm reminded of The Simpsons um, when Hank Scorpio wants to blow up the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> he does blow up the Eiffel Tower. And then the guy on the UN Council is like, maybe it just collapsed by itself. <laughs> you always say that. I want to take a chance. Anyway, we finally, finally find out the motivation of this um, bad guy character, why he wants to get these horrible, horrible weapons. And he's talking to himself as he's programming his computer to aim this thing at the fucking Eiffel Tower. He says, when I've dazzled them with my new toys and abilities, people will start paying me lots of money to destroy things for them. And that's it. I don't think you've thought this through, buddy. So what happens? Long story short, Rodman saves the day somehow, right? I remember at one point there's like a body hanging in front of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's when he gets ambushed. That's when he has to Yeah, act. he gets ambushed. That is one of the more frightful scenes that I've seen. Imagine walking into uh, essentially uh, an ambush where your life's on the line and instead of being greeted uh, with uh, your usual back and forth, you know, Bond-style smarmy dialogue, you get... The general, bound and gagged, thrown from the roof to to you, holding a grenade in his hands. He's still alive. Yes, that's right. It, it's it's so frightful. It, that that scenario is is very scary for me. And I I thought he handled it really well. Yeah, that was cool. And then the bad guy shoots this already dead guy, which makes him drop the grenade. And Rodman has to do like a slow motion dive onto the ground with his long arm and catch the grenade. Yeah, and you hear the basketball timer go off as he does that. (laughs) (laughs) So cool and calm collected from his basketballing work. Hey hey guys, can, can I also just point something out? And this is a huge plot hole in Ashton, the villain's plan to blow up the Eiffel Tower. So they're situated on the coast, somewhere along the south coast of France. Uh, This super weapon, it only has a 300-kilometer range. I've gone ahead and just done a quick search on the map, and you're looking at about, you know, close to a 1,000 kilometers away. There's no way this weapon's going to get within earshot of the Eiffel Tower. It's not even a threat. He might be lucky to hit like this natu- natural regional mountain region that that's you know it's it's just not going to work. It's a it's a horribly malfunctioned plan. It's not. It's still going to be a bit shy. This is the stuff an international guest can bring to the pod. <laughs> We're so camera based. We couldn't we couldn't have figured this out. Well, I w- I will say it it is three hundred miles. But that only equals 482 kilometers, so that is still... <laughs> well, I'm just looking at, you know, we, they, they could have shot for Barcelona. Well, they don't teach geography in orphanages. Toulouse, Bern in Switzerland. Like, there's, there's some spots that you could still hit. Could have just been Europe. 
It doesn't need to be Paris. Yeah, it could have been anywhere in Europe. Well, not really. But so so it stops, right? The old Rodman saves the day and then runs out of the building as it explodes. They have a sick sword fight, right? Where'd they bring the swords from? Why were this? They were having a gunfight 15 minutes before it. And then, yeah, it's it's just straight into swashbuckling, which I'm always going to love. That's that's genius. Well, I, I can't remember how it happens, but I guess Simon stabs uh, Ashen into the computer. Oh, right? yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. He stabs him with something right through the middle of his heart or some shit. It's the sword. <laughs> it is. This, yeah. Imagine that. It was. Is it really? I thought it was some creative, like, I thought he fell on no, a no, face he post impales, or something. He impales him with the sword through a very important piece of machinery, which is, uh, you know... Uh, also load bearing <laughs> oh that's I right. only know this because I watched it about <laughs> half an hour ago because on both attempts to watch this movie uh, well the first time I had to stop yeah. and then the second time I fell asleep <laughs> so I had to had to finish it this morning just before we recorded so that's why it's so fresh in my mind but yeah he stabbed it through this bit of machinery it's that's going crazy right. yeah. it's electrocuting the whole room he's he's like convulsing with electricity <laughs> which is then you know, being propelled to every piece of the panel, the control panel, the machine itself, which shoots, and and it's not small. It's it's a it's an entire room. You know, well, imagine an entire room full of electricity buzzing around. It's that cartoony '90s blue lightning style electricity. And having made some feature films myself, that that's actually quite hard to achieve. That that uh that electric pulsing um effects you know that that's tricky that's about 20 30 minutes yeah right. of, um, <laughs> manipulating the footage it's it's tricky to do that doesn't he kind of like put his finger out to still try and launch the weapon and the electricity jumps from his finger onto the machine thus launching oh, it is, is, did i imagine that or no he, he just points electricity i don't think it launches more malfunctions oh, okay and he explodes and then therefore you know uh renders both the bad guy and the weapon well, they're, they're gone. It's over. The threat leaves us. I mean, there. I've got it right here. Whoa. Uh, points the electricity, right? The fuck? And he's laughing his ass off. And even his bitch. cartoon counterpart, his, <laughs> his electricity. So his computer console has Being an avatar of himself. And the avatar <laughs> yeah. on the console is being electrocuted. That's high tech. It is high tech, isn't it? Just for the listeners, we, we... It's a great miniature explosion. We were just watching the end of the movie again via Mitch's video uh, feed, because we do this on Skype. And I'm watching it, and I'm getting into it, and I'm enjoying it. And then suddenly Mitch brings the camera back onto himself. I'm like, oh, I recognize that dude. I don't remember this. I'm like, oh, whoa. I thought you, I thought you were in the movie for a second. <laughs> I was focusing too yeah, hard. You know, you know, I go by many hats. Well, that shot was in my version of the movie. We get a classic uh, Rodman walks away from the building as it explodes <laughs> and you know has the cool guy doesn't look back at the explosion moment and then we do like our normal kind of denouement uh flash forward to the characters a little later we see a character roll up on the yellow motorcycle in that same weird kind of like bmx outfit and uh he takes off oh, yeah, the mask yeah. and it's dane <laughs> cook but he's but he's got face piercings just like rodman had He's making fun of Rodman. He's got this horrible goatee and he's kind of... And bleached hair. His hair is almost like dyed blonde a little bit as well. They are the bad boys of basketball and comedy, respectively. Together at last. <laughs> you know what? I've got to admit, I'd never heard of um, Dane Cook 
before this. And I'm glad I haven't come across him yet. I found him quite abrasive. Oh. If he's like that on stage, I, I don't want to I don't want to see him. No, he's exactly that way on stage. He's horrible. He's a he's a naughty boy. He is. He as, it, as in as in like as in a goofy send up guy or he's actually oh, just he'll a piece get of in shit. your face. He'll get he's in kind your of face. fratty. He's like really energetic, a lot of fast paced stories. I know him only as a name. Ton of charisma, ton of energy. He was huge in the mid two thousands. He was like selling out arenas, Madison Square Garden type stuff. Like in the early MySpace type days, he was he was massive. For real, Whoa. he lost a lot of fans when um, uh, people were going off at him for stealing jokes. He was like doing bits that Louis C.K. had done and stuff like that back then. Is it okay to steal Louis C.K. jokes now? I think nowadays he's he, been me too. He's not encouraged. Yeah, that should be the punishment for uh, getting me too. Is that everyone can do your jokes and you can't say shit about it? Oh, maybe not Louis C.K. jokes. He's uh, he's he's not very. You don't want to be doing them. They're going to age pretty badly. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. There's a good episode of Louis though, where where he like there's a half hour episode of Louis where he goes and confronts Dane Cook, and the whole thing's just like a conversation between them. That's a pretty good episode. Yeah. Yeah, Dane Cook plays himself. About stealing jokes. Yeah, because it allegedly happened in real life. So, like, they flesh it out on a scripted... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll suck shit to the boat. You know, they, they did a similar thing to that in Mark Maron's TV show, Maron, where he tried to get Kamal Nanjiani on because they'd had, like, this feud. But Kamal just wouldn't play himself in the episode. <laughs> so, they had to just get an actor and they called him, like... Canal Naj, like like some <laughs> very obvious twist on the real name, but you're like yeah. it's it's not the same if it's not the real two people no, like fleshing no. it out. You you've it's just dumb. hired an actor. Hey guys, I I feel like I feel like the way we've slipped off from talking about the movie is kind of what happened to the movie. Yeah. Did this thing just vanish <laughs> as soon as it was released. What what was the kind of release format? Was it straight to VHS with DVDs around by this stage? Nah, it went to cinemas. It went to cinemas, but it did really badly. It went to the cinema? Yeah. It made no money. <laughs> like it was a big box office bomb. It got obviously yeah. zero positive reviews. Okay, so it was the budget was ten million dollars and they made internationally uh, I think a bit over two hundred thousand. So that's Whoa. that's what two two percent. Three hundred thousand. It's it's back. actually they've done a quite a remarkable job for ten million ten million dollars though to be able to yeah. you know fly an entire crew to the south of France and to film there for you know an extended period of time. That that seemed to me like it would cost a lot more money. You know you got to butter up the local economy. You got to you got to impress everyone. Everyone wants a piece of Rodman. You know you'd have to be in a five-star hotel every night the problem is if you do a project like this and it doesn't go well it means other basketballers are going to have trouble getting acting mm. jobs because oh, if yeah. rodman can't sell more than three hundred thousand dollars worth of tickets you know who can i mean this came off the back of space jam and kazam and stuff like that i think that had already come out it's gonna make it difficult to make the fourth fifths and sixths matt shervington films <laughs> i hear what you're saying loud and clear <laughs> Should we get into some final reviews or are there any uh, extra bits people wanted to mention before we score it out? I feel like we didn't talk enough about Rodman's acting. And and I guess he didn't have a lot of lines, but he, he was hard to watch, man. Like He just mumbles I, he didn't chronically. didn't do that bad a job, I suppose, but... Strangely uncharismatic. So uncharismatic. No facial movement whatsoever through the film. He's just so kind of says words just kind of fall out of his face. But it makes me like him more. I think it was a runaway success for Rodman. <laughs> I, I think being like his only feature film acting role that I know of, and I didn't know there was even one until a few days ago. <laughs> I, I I think he you know captured the the scenes that he was in. 
his understated performance <laughs> really balanced out how uh, you know extreme people like Dane Cook were and, and how exaggerated the fighting was. I think he was a really good uh, mellow out to make it a, more of a realistic film, uh, more believable. And, and, and yeah, I'd, I'd watch him again. For Dennis Rodman, I, I think he couldn't have done a, a better job. He is. He's smooth as butter. He's like Jerry Seinfeld just reacting to the craziness that surrounds him on the set of Seinfeld. Yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this movie a rating. I'm just going to say two. I didn't like this one at all. Do you guys do it out of five? I feel like uh, with these bad movies, they're only going as high as a two. Do you ever slide up, slice up the degrees a little? You ever get like two... 1.5 in there 1.2 what's happening there am i allowed to rate things that way Yeah, it's out of 10 and feel free to throw in a decimal yeah out of 10 wow and you gave it two i gave it a two um that's i think that's pretty low on my scale I, I, i've started explaining to our guests the way we rate these is it's almost like they've got their own scale so you've got zero to ten for bad movies or movies on this podcast and then imagine that Everything outside of the stuff on this list can be rated 0 to 20. I don't abide by this stupid thing either. It's just a flat out of 10. I'm comparing it to every film I've ever seen. I'm not comparing it to those movies. They're different <laughs> scales. I can't I can't even it's apples and oranges, mate. Or is it just apples and like not tasty apples, like yeah. rotten or is it tomatoes and rotten tomatoes perhaps? That might be the best analogy we could use. Yes, it might be. I don't have anything else to say on it other than just giving it a two. I mean, it was so boring, man. No, okay, maybe it wasn't so boring. It was. It was just. It was a bad one. I. I, I had a. I, this is the most I've struggled in a while to watch one. Wow, of these. I thought you would love this one. So the no. only the only other f- tomato we've rated that you gave a two to was Wagons East. <laughs> so you're saying it was as bad as Wagons East, and th- and that's your that's your lowest Actually, rating. Actually, you know what? Yes, yeah, so thank you for the, bringing the list up. Let's focus on me for a little longer. I'll just keep upping it. Let's make it two point five. Have I got anything in that area? You've got a couple of threes, so it's just below Mac and Me, Police Academy Four, and Folks. Just like Dennis Rodman, you got a couple twos, you got a couple threes. The more movies you mention on this list, the more I realise that this movie wasn't as bad as them. Lock it in at three, and then I'll shut up. Put a lock on that one, Mister Edward right. McGuire. So thank you. <laughs> I like that. I love that we're able to persuade you to up your up your review. <laughs> this happens every week. <laughs> He'll go back in two weeks and be like, you know what? I think that was more of a four or a five, and, and I have to keep updating. Should we keep pushing That's it? True. I reckon we can get you to a five. I'll do it, Mitch. I'm going to you next. All right. Before I give my rating, can I just uh, <laughs> ask, does anyone know who was originally cast as uh, Nick Miranda, Dane Cook's character? No. Okay. Jason Bateman. Jim Carrey. E from Entourage. The guy the guy with blonde hair who played Fred Dirt. Or Fre- Fred Joe D- Dirt? David Spade? Or did you say Fred Dirt? Fred Dirt. Um, David Spade. It was David no, Spade. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh. was replaced with Dan Cook because Downey dropped out and they needed someone within a few days. What? Patrick Warburg. It was nearly Iron oh, Man. Oh, Danny. <laughs> uh, wow. I can see Robert Downey Jr. doing the dog thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can see him humping a couch. Why did he? Why did he pull out just a few days before? Was this during pretty, his heroin? Pretty crazy. That's well, it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, that's it, it. Was straight up. He scored, and he was like, "This was the reason that he got back into heroin, <laughs> losing the part to Dane Cook." <laughs> yeah, out of regret, he's like, "God, I can't believe I didn't get to be in that movie." 
I know. I think he watched Dane Cook getting to do 45 seconds of dinosaur impressions <laughs> and, it, yeah, just lit the pipe up. I will say... Um, <laughs> Give us your score, Mitch. Yeah, I, I, there's a lot that it has going for it. A lot of uh, cheesy action. Um, and then you've just got Dane Cook. And that really, that really fucks up the experience. So I'm going to go for an easy 3.5. And I'll say that, like, with him... Like, I... It, it, Without Dane, I would say six. What? I would put this at X first server, but it's so painful. It's so bad. You're saying Dane Cook takes the whole thing down 2.5 stars out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. harsh. I, I mean, watching him, like, it's like he's got like that really transphobic joke within like the 20 minute mark and and then like the weird fucking dinosaur thing. And then just watching him fuck a couch. I just wanted to die. So, yeah, uh, you know what? Yeah, you've convinced me. 4.5. Wow. That puts it just above a low-down dirty shame for you. I think that's a fair call. I think I, I, I stand by that. All right. Uh, well, well, I forgot to go. We should go with Louis. He deserves the time. You may have noticed, Louis, you get the opportunity to score it. And if you want to do what these guys do, you get to sit there and like waffle on for five minutes before you even give your score. So feel free. <laughs> final thoughts. Hit us with well, it. Waffle on, I, I shall. You know what? When it, when it was first opening up, I wasn't expecting much based on the um, you know, brief of the podcast. Uh <laughs> and, and, and yeah, you know what? It's it's the same thing with me. With me. Dan Cook really, really spoiled it. I think that he was too extreme in, you know, what were some pretty cool scenes. You know, it's twenty years on since it was released. It's very easy to now to turn around and point out how sexist it was. It, it was it was racist to to uh, a way to um, just shove Jiang Jinjin in the back of it, not even really naming him at all. It was good for a few different reasons. One, I thought the action was the best thing in it. I, I was I was really excited. There were some scenes that actually had my heart racing, like when the general <laughs> is in his car and there's the gang of mopeds like terrorizing him. That I could feel that the way he drove through the city down to the docks. I thought that was a really good launch to a to a, a pretty ordinary movie. Um, yeah, it was it was let down by not having any huge memorable scenes or lines that you know that you can carry on and, and think oh wow that's just like in that movie where that happened so yeah, i can see this one slipping into the uh even further into history without being remembered i'm going to give it uh six and a half okay six and a half because <laughs> nice. in the 20 years since it came out we've seen some remarkable improvements in uh in these people's lives i mean let's take uh brian tyler the person who did the score as we said before, he's gone on to do the Transformers series. He now works with Marvel on their huge releases. He does uh, huge opening sequences for global brands like the NFL. That's a huge deal. <laughs> There's Dennis Rodman himself. He's gone from being one of the most recognizable NBA stars of the 90s to being a feature film star. And now he's on the global scale as a foreign diplomat becoming best friends with uh you know one of the most divisive um figures of global politics kim jong-un that's true it's uh it's a remarkable thing to see their relationship blossom and i don't think that dennis rodman would be in that position today without having first done this international espionage spy thriller i think this geared him up to be able to do that and so that that historical context 
six and a half. Well, this is incredible. I'm pretty sure that's the highest that a guest has rated any of the tomatoes that we've watched. Am, am I wrong? 6.5. That's incredible. Yeah. Six point, I, I was just blown away by the... It's it's the waste. It's, it's the complete disrespect for resources when these films are being made. I mean, the car's trashed. The motorbike's <laughs> trashed. The career's ruined. It's just... It's such a... Like, the money not gained or never gained back. I, respe- I respect that. To be able to... The, the power that these directors are given and then only to abuse it. So it's the story around the f- tomato that's really giving getting the 6.5. It's it's the story around the tomato that's getting the 6.5. You're giving it a good rating for its colossal failure and the fact that Dennis Rodman is friends with Kim Jong-un. That's what I'm hearing. It's the whole package. You name one other film that's had such such an impact. Oh, uh, well, you're right. We'll take it. Morgan, hit us with your best score. I'm giving it a three. Uh, it was an oppressive watch. It was very oppressive. An oppressive regime of a watch. It was kind of distracting. I, I couldn't really get through it. There was one memorable scene. That was the strobe set fight that was pretty fat um but yeah other than that this was just a real meandering piece of shit gotta give it a three gotta give it a three all right i'll take that and uh to bring us home i'm actually surprised morgan and hayden both rated this a three can i can i change my um my rating again if you want i was just wondering if i could i don't want to yeah well then you can't i said if you want you can (laughs) what are you a lawyer well, this that's pretty litigious, man. <laughs> Read the dotted line. Read the small print. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna give this higher than. Well, not higher than Louis. I think Louis really reached for the stars on this one. <laughs> but um, Mitch, Morgan, and Hayden, I'm gonna give it a five. I actually found it quite enjoyable. I when I watch movies like this, I get into the mindset of like if I was a kid in the '90s because I was born in '91. I'm like, I would have been eight years old. I would have been a a fan of the Chicago Bulls. I would have got to see Dennis Rodman like kicking butt, taking names, yeah. uh, making sweet rave '90s strobe light love to a an assassin. Like it's kind of everything I would want. Now that I'm a little older, <laughs> I didn't out of the park. Love the movie. I can see it's got its warts and all, or even its 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 blonde hair and its piercings in maybe places it shouldn't have. But I think that yes. I, like I found it to be uh, compared to most of the films we've watched, like quite fun and and entertaining mercifully short um enjoyable i just wish dennis rodman had a bit more character like that was the only thing that really let me down this is a guy who's lived a crazy life he is an interesting person to watch talk i've seen a lot of interviews with him he he's a partier he gets out there he does interesting things but in this movie he just was like very flat and 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 i thought it was like suspiciously anti-basketball reference like they allowed no references and that just like it's weird you're like i'm watching this because i know him from playing basketball so (laughs) not that the movie has to be about basketball but maybe it would have been a little better if it was Mm. well sorry to tell you declan but five is wrong the answer is three I don't know. This this was not as good as conspiracy. Shadow conspiracy. Shadow conspiracy. That was that movie owned. Who do, who directs Shadow Conspiracy? Who makes that one? I think I've seen that. That one. was the one we watched last week, and it was Charlie Sheen and um. You got some Charlie Sheen. Donald Sutherland. It, it was good. It was just like a, it was like a White House like, action film, and Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen <laughs> was in it as well. Scotty Pippen. No, he One of the wasn't. Greats. If I can find Scotty Pippen in a movie, though, I'm gonna watch that. 
I have to say it. <laughs> you know what? There's there's that one Blue Chips that's got a lot of uh, you know vintage ballers in it playing cameos. I think if you really want to go ham on the '90s B ballers, Blue Chips. How do you know so much about films when you only watch them at Christmas time and if they're Christmas themed? I did five minutes of wiki just before this. Mm. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> Scotty Pippen has a an uncredited role in Space Jam. I got to rewatch Space Jam. Really? But you don't have to rewatch Space Jam. Don't do it to yourself. You're already uh, performing gross masochism <laughs> weekly by the sounds of things. Basketball Jones. You got the basketball Jones. Hey, so what do we do now? Shoot the shit? What happens now? Jones. Got any goss? What happens? <laughs> what's happening in Canberra? Dude, it's cold. Um, what, what are you doing over there? What's, what's I'm living it up. <laughs> what's life like? You're in, you're in oh, England, man. right? Yeah, man. Life has turned so slow uh since COVID 19 broke out you know and and i'm loving it definitely in the category of people who have benefited greatly from everything slowing down a lot and and i mean benefited in terms of just like mental health i feel enriched just by having such a such a closed off world the world's turned really small for me i only really go between work and my flat i'm playing golf not wasting my time and energy on pointless things i'm not i'm not partying i I, i'm just at home with my girlfriend and my cat a lot of the time it's quite pleasant driving to the beach things yeah things are really slowed down in england and um i don't hate it at all that's nice kind of renders living in in london a little useless yeah like uh all, all the things are closed in fact they only just opened up uh shops yesterday for the first time since march so it's been a few months of just everything closed everything off just uh yeah, sit at home with yourself, and 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 uh, it, it was nice. Obviously, you know the the cost of it was was too much. Uh, it was like tens of thousands of people are dead in this country, and uh, by the looks of things, we're not going to be able to leave England to go on short trips or anything like that overseas, which is a major bummer because that's basically why I moved here just to do wanky trips in the south of France, go and relive. Relive this movie, Simon <laughs> says. That is a huge bummer. Oh man, you got real there for a second. I, I appreciate that. I, I don't think we've done that before. But that's a really nice description because I, I feel that definitely that first part a whole lot. The slowing <laughs> down, the routine becoming more established. I think for for me at least. Yeah, that was that was very relatable. Uh, Louis, it's been a complete pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very, very much. I loved it. I loved it, guys. <laughs> you mentioned you've made some feature films. Is there stuff we can find out there? Uh, yeah, you know, I've, I've been uh, tr- doing some pretty impressive things since I, since I got here. You're asking how, how I was uh, in England. I've had like, you know, six different jobs. One of them was um, I was an animal ambulance driver and, um, you know, I worked for a cat charity was hired as their handyman and animal lance driver and, and during the time i drove these cats around to and from the vets in the animal ambulance i drive into farms i drive into different people's houses I, I recorded it and i made a podcast out of it it's called animal ambulance awesome. it's on the podcast streaming services now i really wanted to shoot for a lot of um coverage on let's just say apple Podcasts. so i'll put it in i think journals something like that like journals personal stories diaries i thought as if anyone's going to be posting podcasts in there anyway i go and look 
stuff like This American Life, <laughs> the Joe Rogan podcast is in there. So I'm up against some heavyweight podcasts. So I really need uh, a lot of people to get in there and download it if I'm ever going to see the light of day of that um, top screen. But yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a it's an interesting listen. It's a peculiar six-part story of some short eps of just me driving around London talking to cats and um, taking them around. It's dull as shit. But, you know, in, in between that, there's some, there's some very uh, poignant moments. It's dramatic. It's funny. There's some, some cry moments. You try and take a lady who's got dementia's cat because she can't look after it anymore. You know, you, you got, I had to do shit like that. It was, it was uh, horrible, horrible to go through for me. Uh, there's some really triumphant stories as well. You know, cats uh, on the brink of it being left to die, coming around in the end. Um, yeah, I'm a cat lover. But anyway, ended up losing that job uh, in some pretty dramatic circumstances. So whatever's in that podcast, uh, there's there's not going to be any more of it. So yeah, those short six Fs. That sounds awesome, yeah. man. I'm so keen to check that out. That's what, amazing. What are you selling me? You haven't listened to it? What, what did you say it's called again? What, what are you? You're crazy, guys. You're crazy. you got to listen to it. It's a hit. It sounds like you could finish the whole series in like a couple of hours, basically, because the episodes are nice and tight, unlike this episode we've just done. We've gone over time, yeah, Soz. All right, guys. Look, I've had a real treat. Thanks for asking me on your show. <laughs> no worries, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you so much, man. It was really lovely meeting you. Let's all listen to Animal Ambulance Podcast.